Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. I'm Josh Norris here with Ian Hart. It's Ian. Ready to go pick by pick, round by round of the XFL draft, break it down? Uh, talk to me in February. <laughs> we joke, but you, one, are a stand for the AAF, and two, actually in the past few days have been criticizing me for like even bringing up nostalgic names that are in the XFL draft, but you're going to dive headfirst in in February. Look, everyone's biggest problem with the AAF and now the XFL has been like, oh, it's not good football. Why not just watch a MAC game? Which is true. There are There is no other football on during the AAF and XFL. It's a ridiculous argument. Like, if you want to go into the AAF and criticize how they spent their money, if they rushed into the league, like, that's fine. But it's a bunch of people that never watched the games criticizing the gameplay, which was very good, if you guys actually took the time to watch them. They're going to put that in the back of the biography that they have about the AAF like 20 years down the line. And you're just going to be in the back pamphlet that says, very good football for the AAF in Hardest, <laughs> which is just shocking. I mean, I could not disagree more. Look, man, we know the players. I would rather really do anything other than watch an AAF game. I'm not going to say anything about XFL because I have some friends working there. But, you know, it, it's, a lesser, it's a lesser football. I think they would even say that. And so why not just not watch football? I would almost argue when people take three months to evaluate rookies that are, that are not even on teams yet, that we almost form <laughs> bad opinions through that process. So really, you're helping your NFL process by focusing wow. on the AAF or XFL. You just took a shot at half my calendar year. Well, you know, it is what it is. You took a shot at my passion. I took a shot at you finding some hobbies. Okay, <laughs> uh, so today we're going to end this episode with Nick Minzio's starts and sets. Again, you can find that column up on Rudder World. In the midway point, we're going to hit on the 32 backfields across the league. Well, not all 32, just four. But you can find all 32 in Ian's column which is up on the site. Uh, but we start off with this pretty big news, and it was last night, pretty late. Uh, Jalen Ramsey was traded uh, to the LA Rams for a 2020 first rounder, 2021 first rounder, and a 2021 fourth rounder, and those are going to the Jaguars. We know the Rams are in a three-game losing streak. Ian, what does this tell you about the state of their franchise or what they believe in it? Seems like they're in denial about their starting quarterbacks playing the real problem, which seems to be just the offensive line and kind of that in general. But, hey, I don't mind adding the freaking – should be anyone's idea of a top two cornerback in the league. Yeah. I think him and Stephon Gilmore. So, you know, two first-round picks, fourth round, you can say it's a lot. But I think they just uh, – you know, they saw what happened last season when Tlaib won out and they tried using Marcus Peters to shadow these guys and Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, like – 
Peters was almost losing them games, and right. he wasn't set out to be that shadow cornerback. He was playing through injuries. I don't want to completely throw Peters under the bus, but obviously it's a massive upgrade there. And it, it will help the defense because you could look at it. Maybe they're just figuring the offense at this point is somewhat of a sunk cost, so try to win with just exceptional, ex- exceptional defense. You know, and I think we have this bias of pass rushers being more valuable than cornerbacks, and I don't think it's as binary as one is more important than the other, but I think we are led to pass rushing being more important because just of how the game is viewed, right? The box is what we see, and we don't really see the coverage in the back half. Um, If we saw the coverage in the back half, I think we would fall in love more often with players like Jalen Ramsey. You brought Marcus Peters' names, and he was was shipped, I should say, to the Baltimore Ravens only for – basically nothing. It was a 2020 fifth-round pick, and Kenny Young, who's this, you know, depth linebacker. Um, The thing with Marcus Peters is he's a player who can go on, like, these hot streaks because he jumps on passes. He jumps on targets. And those can, like we saw multiple times this season, turn into long touchdowns, or they can lead to interceptions. Jalen Ramsey is a very consistent corner. Um, Jalen Ramsey now joins the best defensive player in the league, and Aaron Donald. But we talked about just a couple days ago in an episode you all, you all should check out what the Rams and even the Eagles and the Cowboys, what their fatal flaws could be. At no point did we mention this defense as a fatal flaw for the Rams. I'm not saying it's ever going to be a top unit in the NFL, but it's in that middle area, which you can win with if they create big plays. Jalen Ramsey can offer more big plays, but the core issue of this team is their offensive line. And they've done nothing to try to fix that other than try to trade for Austin Corbett, which they did, who has not even found a home and a starting job on one of the worst offensive lines in the league in the Browns. Now they just lost uh, Joseph Noteboom, their left guard for the season, their knee injury. So, yeah, they're going to have to win with defense is what it's looking like. And, you know, in addition to their big-name stars, Dante Fowler's been getting a ton of consistent pressure off the edge. I mean, that was a great uh, midseason trade they made last year. And Corey Littleton, I think, we got to start including in some of just the top playmaking linebackers yeah. with, with everything he does. So, We'll see if they can turn it around, man. I was looking at uh, Goff's pressure and deep ball rates, which I think are – I haven't run the correlation on it, but I feel like those two things are somewhat correlated. If you're under a bunch of pressure, you can't throw deep. Um, and it's like he was he was never this guy that was necessarily kept upright or thrown downfield like every single pass in these past two seasons, but he was still like top 20 usually, mm-hmm. and now he's just bottom five. So, it, it, I don't know, man. It, it's been affecting Brandon Cooks obviously the most, but – they, they got to figure out something. A few notes on this as we continue. Joe Cena Anderson, I believe, reported that no further discussions have been had about his contract. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, I don't, is he going to play without a new contract? Or else he just holds the most leverage of any corner of any player in the league. Yeah. Um, and the Rams, this is how they have built their roster in many ways, right? They've done this with Sammy Watkins, Brandon Cooks, Marcus Peters, Dante Fowler. They even tried to trade for Cleo Mack. They are fine compared to so many other teams in the league sacrificing first or second round picks in order to get these proven veteran presences. And Jalen Ramsey obviously adds on to that as well. Shout out to my buddy Keith Reedy. It's like they're a Madden franchise, and they're just kind of trading away future draft picks for these big-name players that may or may not be exactly who they need. And, you know, it's we'll see how it works. Three and three, like we said, and the Rams face the Falcons and the Bengals next. Two get-right spots, and then a bye after that. So the tone, unless something disastrous happens, is going to be very different around this Rams team as they head into the bye at 5-3. and three. Out there, people, don't forget this mindset that you have about the Rams. Again, unless they lose to the Falcons and the Bengals, which we would not expect, they're going to have a 
big winning record heading into their bye, but this team still has problems, and I don't think the Falcons or the Bengals are going to expose those at all. Still a pretty clear number three team in the NFC West, though, wouldn't you say? Oh, clear. I mean, after the 49ers and the Seahawks. And again, that's a very tough division. And in that division, I don't want to keep going down this trade discussion, but no real true number one wide receivers. Tyler Lockett, sure. George Kittle. It'll be interesting to see if, if Jalen Ramsey week to week goes from fit, like locking down a Tyler Lockett to then going and locking down a George Kittle. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how often he does move into the slot for sure. We got upcoming matchups against Juju and Hollywood Brown, some other guys like that. I do think they're going to put Ramsey on Julio Jones this week and yep. straight up shadow right away because, again, that is what we saw Peters do when Tlaib was hurt last year. And you can't let Julio just go on with Nickel, Roby Coleman, and Troy Hill whenever they want. So if you're spending this much on Jalen Ramsey, you're spending this much on Jalen Ramsey to let him lock down the opponent's best wide receiver. I know the Rams were trying to save their season. Uh, you all might be trying to save your fantasy season as well, and I have a deal for you. Go to NFL.com slash win for our season pass or NFL.com slash DFS for our DFS toolkit. And if you put save30 as the promo code, you can save your fantasy season by getting 30% off both those packages. Again, the season pass is NFL. or excuse me, rotorworld.com slash win. And the DFS toolkit is rotorworld.com slash DFS. All right, Thursday night football preview. Want to get into it? Let's do it. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs at the Denver Broncos. Chiefs are only three and a half point favorites on the road. I was shocked. Seven total. I shocked know that, I that you know you can always say that three points counts for home teams, right? But three and a half as the line here, it's kind of wild. Yeah, because I mean, what has this Broncos team really done to deserve that? They're two and four. The Chiefs are four and two. The look, the Broncos defense has played a lot better the last two weeks. They they got thirteen points to Chargers and they shot out the Titans. Not exactly the two best offenses we've seen throughout the season, but I think it does make sense that, you know, with Von Miller, with Chris Harris Jr., and obviously Vic Fangio's track record, it makes sense that this is going to be an above-average defense more weeks than not with that much talent, just that much brain power on the defensive side of the ball. I, I mean, I'm just not ready to admit that, you know, Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense are going to be scoring fewer than 28 per game more weeks than not. And then it's like, do we really expect Joe Flacco to keep up with Mahomes and these guys? I don't really think so. No. And in the last two games, the Chiefs scored 13 points against Indianapolis and allowed just 19. Then last week against Houston scored just 24 points while allowing 31. This comes from Rich Rebar. The Chiefs ran 36 fewer plays on offense than Houston in week six. Um, that's the largest play differential in any game this season. Yeah. And then 17 fewer plays than the Colts in week five. Um, I'm not saying that the, the Chiefs need to just maintain the football and have time of possession and all that because they can score like this. But having that many fewer snaps and fewer plays means that the defense is even worse than it was last year. And that's something that we didn't expect heading into this year because the additions that they made. And right now, with the differences between Patrick Mahomes throwing 50 touchdown passes last year and now on pace for 37 or 38, that's a major, major difference. And I'm not sure if their running game is able to make up that difference right now either. The one big thing I think that has gone a little bit overlooked here is the absence of Eric Fisher, their left tackle. Yep. He's So Mahomes weeks one through three was only pressured on 22, 23% of his dropbacks. That was the fourth lowest mark in the league. Weeks four through six, it's been up to 35%, which is the uh, 22nd lowest. So I know pressure a lot of times is a quarterback stat. They hold the ball. We talk about this with Deshaun Watson a lot. So you can't always just blame it on the offensive line. But losing your left tackle is a very big deal, even for the league's best quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, we've seen Damian Williams struggle to run the ball all year. Shady's been a nice little source in the run game. But when he's, like last week, he only had eight carries the entire game. 
They're not consistently running the ball. Like they're pretty much forcing Mahomes to be Superman on every single play. And until last week, he was having to do that without his all-world field-stretching wide receivers. So I think better weeks will be ahead. But uh, I guess in hindsight, it's a little bit easier to see why they've been quote-unquote struggling over the last few weeks. And Tyreek Hill's history against the Denver Broncos has not been favorable over the last three games. You know, uh, his history has been favorable who? against the Broncos. Travis Kelsey. Yeah, and that's probably where they'll go for Tyreek Hill is three catches for 70 yards, nine catches for 54 yards, and two catches for 38 yards in his last three times played. What do we think about this Broncos team now? Because they're running the football quite well. Philip Lindsay is the one who's getting more backfield uh, carries. Royce Freeman is actually the one who's coming along in the passing game as well. And I should note that Kansas City is the first team to allow 180 or more rushing yards in four straight games since a team in 2012. Isn't that wild? That, that I mean, that's crazy. awful. <laughs> um, so the thing with these running backs, and again, I've been breaking on these backfields all year, and these guys have been 50-50 split all season. And it's right. not a situation where, like, one's thunder, one's lightning. I think both guys are three-down backs, and when they play their 50% snap rate, they, the Broncos let them function as a three-down back. Even earlier in the season, like, Lindsey was getting the targets, but the routes were always, like, right there with each other. Uh, Lindsey has – he has 84 carries this year. Freeman has 66. But, like – Everything's just been so close with them because they're both guys that can function on all three downs. I do think Lindsey's probably a slightly better receiving back than Freeman, all things considered, but this usage is fine for fantasy purposes. Again, like Devontae Booker has under five snaps played all season. We can deal with two running backs. Shout out Ray Summerlin. <laughs> we can deal with two back committees. It'd be, be, it'd be more ideal if the Broncos were a better scoring offense. I mean, there's not going to be the highest ceiling with these guys, but when both running backs are a threat for, you know, 15 to 20 touches per week, like, just keep going back to that well. Fantasy-wise, sure. We would love for just one of them to see all this volume. because That doesn't happen. Though. But it's not going to happen unless one gets injured, um, obviously. A macro view of this team, you know, heading into the year, we thought a Vic Fangio defense with the great pass rushers and the defensive talent that they have was going to be the core and the most talented part of this team. Um, that wasn't the case, really, in the first, what, four games of the season. It was the offense kind of carrying them a little bit. And the offense has maintained some consistency. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders to start the season, Cortland Sutton has come along. We talked about the running game here. And now the defense, with all that talent, they're shifting some of it around, moving Shelby Harris around, changing linebackers, Von Miller, obviously. Um, it, it's becoming more of a presence as well. I'm not going to say at 2-4 and four, the Broncos are going to make the playoffs. But they can make some noise this year just by the defensive talent that they have and if Joe Flacco can continue to churn that offense. It's been even more impressive with them losing Bradley Chubb after I right. think it was the third week. So, yeah, I think uh, my one big takeaway is that this is the first year we've gotten to see Chris Harris Jr. not just be this nickelback. Like, he's gotten to travel on the outside with opposing number ones, and he's a joy to watch, man. He, is, he, he needs to be in any top five cornerbacks. See especially. what A.J. Brown did to him last week? Oh, what? He had a, oh, stiff arm or something? He's a beast after the catch. So, uh, it, it was a play that was OPI, which, I mean, it was just A.J. Brown just being a monster. But it was like a third and two, maybe, I can't remember. And it was a slant off the line, and he took a step outside. Obviously, Chris Harris followed him outside. Then inside arm, A.J. Brown literally lifted him off the ground and threw him down in a heap and then ran for 42 yards after the catch. And they called it because he was so much of a monster, just physically imposing his will and lifting him off the ground and throwing him to the ground that Chris Harris got an uh, offensive pass. I didn't see the actual act of it him was throwing insane. him on the ground. I did see him catch the slant and have like 10 yards of separation from him, which is probably what drew the flag. We spent a lot of time on the Broncos backfield and even the Chiefs backfield. Let's take a look at four other backfields 
backfields. Again, you can find all 32 in Ian's column, taking stock of all 32 backfields. Let's start off with the L.A. Rams. Um, they face off against the Atlanta Falcons this week. Again, a get-right spot. Um, Sean McVay, we know, did not play Todd Gurley last week off of a quad injury. So Malcolm Brown saw a lot early. Maybe the two most impactful runs of the entire game were from Daryl Henderson. So now how do you see this backfield heading against the Falcons this week, which, again, is a matchup we want to take advantage of? Yeah, I mean, I really haven't gotten the impression that Gurley's necessarily, like his return doesn't seem necessarily imminent, especially after he didn't practice the entire week. So moving forward, Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson, like you said, I mean, the two best runs from that game came from Henderson on his first two plays. And he was, even though he didn't have the chunk plays throughout the rest of the afternoon, he was still making the first defender miss on a couple of occasions. His one bonehead play was when a Jared Goff pitch just hit him right in the chest and he fumbled it. But let's just blame that on Jared Goff and move on. I, I mean, I, I, I think <laughs> no, Daryl Henderson know, took was, his eye off the ball looked at the defense and gave the 49ers a touchdown I'm just, early points. I'm just playing but now he's I don't think that's going to like put him in the doghouse necessarily they should like what they saw from him because he was the more effective back normally with that said Malcolm Brown did work as the clear 1A back he had a 68% snap rate 11 carries Henderson was at 32% six carries two targets Henderson I think like, we've seen this in the preseason. They used him more as the receiver, getting him loose on some wheel routes and stuff. But with that said, Brown still ran 16 routes. Henderson had eight. So I think the targets weren't necessarily a sign that he's necessarily the, their locked-in pass down back. I can see this creeping more like 60-40 split, but I think Brown's going to be a lead back at least for another couple weeks. Me too. And I understand why people get excited about someone like Daryl Henderson. Um, he's exciting player. His runs are electric. But what we know – with fantasy football is until we see it, it is tough to predict, right? And what we know right now is when Todd Gurley is healthy, he is the lead back. When he's not, and someone is going to spell him for three down work, it's Malcolm Brown. Daryl Henderson, maybe in three to five weeks, is something that is the one seeing 60% of the touches, and Malcolm Brown seeing 40% of the touches. I don't think that's the case right now. No. And I, it would be difficult for me to rely on a pivotal position in fantasy football, either one of those running back spots or even a flex spot, and say, hey, Daryl Henderson, I want you in there despite facing the Atlanta Falcons just because we haven't even seen him get 50% of the touches. Yeah, I do think we also see his Rams offense lean towards a more run-heavy unit moving forward. And Gurley has it, obviously, when he was in. Like, he wasn't the same world beater we saw the last two seasons. No. But they've still been, like, a good rushing offense. I mean, their adjusted line yards per rush, seventh highest in the league. Last season, it was like the highest mark in 25 years. So, we, you know, that drop-off even from first to seventh is a lot bigger than uh, you might think otherwise. But, I mean, they've obviously been more effective running the ball than having golf sit back there and, you know, dunk it down all game. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the splits evolve. I do think if Gurley comes back, like we're – He gets it. He gets it, but I think we're going to see 60%, 70% range. We're not going to see him go back after that 93%. No, but then it's, what, 20% to Malcolm Brown and – if at all, Daryl Henderson, because we saw that for, th like, what, three to four weeks yeah. of Daryl Henderson seeing two snaps in week one and then nothing until this past weekend. Again, people that are projecting Daryl Henderson into a much larger role, you're very bold. You're bolder than I am. I want to rely on my strengths on proven players that I've seen in previous weeks get volume, and we just haven't seen that from Daryl Henderson yet. Yeah. Let's move on to the Baltimore Ravens. They face the Seattle Seahawks this week. Uh, each time I looked up, I saw multiple backs getting involved this past weekend against, what, the Cincinnati Bengals? Mm -hmm. It was Gus Edwards. It was Mark Ingram. Even Justice Hill got involved. Yep. And that's kind of been the case all season. Ingram has been the lead back, but they have kept Gus Edwards and Justice Hill involved all year. 
La this last week, though, was Ingram's lowest snap rate since that week one blowout against the Dolphins. I was kind of thrown uh, through everything out of proportion a little bit. But, yeah, Ingram played 31 snaps. Evers was at 33, and Justice Hill had 17. But I think with, like, Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry, these guys that are in these super run-first offenses that are established as the lead back, we don't need to worry about the snap rates as much as we do with other teams. And we saw that with the touches. Ingram still had 15 touches. Edwards only had six. Hill had five. I mean, only the 49ers and Vikings have run the ball at a higher rate than the Ravens this season. It's not situation-adjusted, uh, but clearly Baltimore enters games wanting to run the football. We've seen a couple weeks recently with Lamar Jackson uh, really kind of having his plus run games where he is racking up, you know, double-digit rush attempts. And they've also not really faced the most positive game script in the last few weeks than we expect. Yeah. Despite all that, we're seeing Ingram still kind of get between 12 and 15 touches. So I think when we see them maybe get back on track a little more, build some leads, then we're going to see them get back up in those 20 touches. So even though this one week didn't work out as much with the snap share, I'm, I'm still pretty high on Mark Ingram. I know this game is in Seattle, and someone posed the question yesterday in the newsroom um, if they should play Lamar Jackson against the Seattle Seahawks. I think the Seahawks defense is receiving too much respect, too much credit, kind of like the Ravens are on the other side. They're just not – they're in that middle area where they can be anywhere from the 20th Worst defense or 20th best defense to like the 10th best. Yeah. The talent dictates it each week. The play dictates it each week. There's no one that I'm extremely scared of other than some of those off-ball linebackers. I know they get Jaron Reed back. Who knows how much that is going to happen or change things. But um, I'm totally fine playing a lot of Baltimore Ravens in this running game this week. Yeah. I, I, I mean, mean, Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson. I mean, Lamar Jackson, the best ball carrier. I should have narrowed it down to those two names. <laughs> it's all good. Um, I will say, yeah, Seahawks secondary is definitely more of the weakness on that team. In addition yeah. to Reed, no Clowney. We've seen Ziggy Ansah come on in recent weeks. And obviously Bobby Wags is one of the better linebackers in the entire league, if not the single best. But, yeah, when you have a team like the Ravens that runs the ball this well and they're not facing one of these four to five elite defenses that we talk about, keep, keep going back to them. Yeah. Uh, excited to preview that game and tomorrow's podcast with John Daigle or Hayden Winks or Rhoda Pat. We're not sure yet. Uh, go and subscribe to this podcast right now uh, and be sure to get that one ready to listen to. Again, that's the game preview later on this week. All right, the Green Bay Packers against the Oakland Raiders. You want to talk about the Packers' backfield. It's a two-person backfield. It's Aaron Jones who, after a four-touchdown game, coughed up the ball twice. One cough up, and he dropped a wide-open 30-yard touchdown. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, but it's a good matchup against the Oakland Raiders. Good matchup. It's just this is a split backfield. And now it is. Now it is. And, you know, when Jamal got hurt, we saw Jones, like they did not have even like a backup running back active that game. So Jones's, you know, snaps really inflated there. And then, yeah, it's realistic when if Williams or Jones are going to be hurt, we can see it shift more of a 70-30 type situation versus a 50-50. But when these guys are together, they are splitting snaps almost right down the middle. I mean, they've had four full games together. Aaron Jones has played 52% of snaps in those. Williams has played 50%. And Jones has gotten more carries, 57 versus 40, but the targets have been 15 to 13. Very equal. Uh, Jamal, I almost want to say, is even a better, more polished receiver than Aaron, mm. I think, overall. Especially just, I don't know, they seem to trust him a lot and more in the screen game, I think, than uh, Jones at this point. And at the very least, like we're still valuing Aaron Jones as this consistent RB2, which I'm not saying he can't post that production. The Packers offense has looked a lot better in recent weeks than they did to start the season. But we got to start respecting Jamal Williams, I think, sure. as, you know, 
boomer bust. Jamal Williams would be difficult to start, but more than anything, he eats into the ceiling of what Aaron Jones is. Yeah. And Aaron Jones, I believe, was drafted as a top 12 running back this past summer. And I know the Twitter community, football community, the football world loves Aaron Jones, loves his ceiling. But we have seen, and they've been clamoring for him to be a 75% plus workhorse in the NFL. But what, what have we seen since Jamal Williams was drafted? We've seen that Aaron Jones, I mean, Aaron Rodgers has his trust, that this Green Bay offense has his trust, and he's going to be a factor if healthy. And he is healthy right now. And we saw that he is, I'm not going to say more consistent. He is what you see is what you get more often. He did have a big play for a touchdown. Yeah. But what Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones can't afford to make those mistakes that he had, despite having four touchdowns the previous week. And like the, all the Aaron Jones love, he was incredible. He's been incredibly efficient throughout his career. I, I do think he deserves a featured role and everything. But like when LaFleur took the job, he said they were going to use multiple running backs. Right. We saw last season, it took until what, week 13, until Derrick Henry truly took over for Deion Lewis. Even then, his snap rates were pretty much near 50%. Like, LaFleur has never really lied to us about wanting to use a committee backfield. We just kind of have gotten hyped up in the free Aaron Jones movement, which, hey, maybe one day. But it's, it's a committee backfield. It's been a committee backfield. It's going to be a committee backfield moving forward. Still trying to figure out how the Packers only have one loss on their schedule. Okay, uh, let's close out this segment with the Atlanta Falcons against the aforementioned L.A. Rams. Um, Falcons, Devontae Freeman had a massive, massive week. I mean, hit for everyone that played him and trusted him. Uh, how's that backfield shaking out? Because I know earlier in the season that Edo Smith was seeing more and more reps as well. I'm saying so high on Devontae Freeman mm. right now. I don't think it's sustainable, man. I mean, his last three games, he's been good because of his receiving workload. He's had week four, eight catches, 72 yards. Week five, five catches, 40 yards, touchdown. Last week, three catches, 30 yards, two touchdowns on three targets. Like, it's not like Devontae Freeman is Le'Veon Bell or Christian McCaffrey where they can actually split out and they're like a true weapon in the receiving game. These are all checkdowns with the, with the Falcons trailing multiple scores. Like, this is why Austin Hooper is having such a big season, too. The Falcons do not go into games planning on not getting Ridley and Julio involved and just feeding Devontae Freeman and Austin Hooper. <laughs> what, what a meeting room. What a game <laughs> plan room that would be leading up to games. Exactly. And, you know, the running game hasn't been on track all season. Their offensive line's been ridiculously banged up. This is a bad football team, and we've seen Devontae get production in comeback mode. And I understand the argument that's, well, if he's getting production in comeback periods and they're a bad football team, isn't there going to continue to be more of those? But... Man, this is still an injury-prone back that, let's face it, hasn't really looked all that great this year, even though he has gotten the productions. I mean, he doesn't resemble the same guy in 2016 that was breaking every other tackle and all that. I just haven't seen enough in his quote-unquote bounce-back spots yeah. to think that it's going to keep, keep going forward. Yeah, and unless it's someone like Christian McCaffrey, who you mentioned, a team that almost certainly will be in negative game scripts throughout this entire season, it's difficult to rely on someone like Devontae Freeman, who is like a James Conner out of the backfield catching the football yeah. in terms of, hey, I'm open, two yards, let me run it for an extra three yards. Those still count for fantasy points for us, but it's not like it's part of the the scheme of the offense, of the yeah. creation of the offense. It's more of a check down. And not to mention, like he's been in a split backfield all year long. He's right. had two games where he's played over 70% snaps. The first one, Eo Smith left with a concussion. Last week, he left with a hamstring. And, like, they're not keeping Brian Hill or Quadri Allison active when Ito's good. I understand why they wouldn't no, those I, two active. I get that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, we haven't had a game yet where Ito's just been inactive. And yeah. I think if that would happen, we would still see Devontae in that 50 to 60% range. They want 
to use two running backs. They've done that all season. And you know, we had last week, we had the season high 22 touches. But again, I think it was kind of a fluky performance. Thursday night football preview down backfield review. And we did that as well. Time to bring in Nick Minzio for his bold, notable starts and sits. Nick, let's start off with John Brown against the Miami Dolphins. You want to start him this week, despite just five for 75 last week against the Tennessee Titans. Talk us into starting John Brown. Yeah, I mean, Brown hasn't scored since week one, but he's cleared 50 yards in all five games. Uh, that includes a 69-yard effort against the Patriots and Stephon Gilmore in week four. Probably his toughest draw of the season. Now he's getting his easiest one of the year. Um, Bills are coming off their bye, entering their the cupcake part of their schedule to get the Dolphins twice in the next five weeks. Um, I think Brown is just primed for a major liftoff. This feels like a now or never time to try and acquire him, acquire him in fantasy. Uh, by, by low window will probably be slammed shut this Sunday. Um, everything's just in his favor. The, the Dolphins are just getting clobbered by opposing receivers. Um, Brown and Cole Beasley have a, a stranglehold on targets in Buffalo. Um, I mean, the Bills are projected to score over 28 points, second most on the slate. Uh, I mean, outside receivers are just destroying the Dolphins. Terry McLaurin went for 100 yards and two touchdowns last week. Um, Dontrell Inman, of all people, had 76 yards a couple weeks before that. Amari Cooper had a big game three weeks ago, and Antonio Brown had a huge game. Marquise Brown had a huge game week one. I mean, these guys are just lighting the Dolphins on fire. So, I mean, I love Brown in this spot. Yeah, Nick, my only concern with this matchup, and you mentioned, like, the Amari Cooper game. Clearly, Xavier Howard has had his ups and downs throughout the, throughout the years. I do think he's a pretty talented cornerback and one of the better guys out there, but he was out last week with a knee injury, so he's not even 100%, and we don't even know if he'll be on the field. But I, I agree with what you're saying about his buy low window is about to slam shut because, look, I mean, I'm not a huge guy that just looks ahead in the schedule all the time, but the Bills got the Dolphins, then the Eagles and Redskins at home, at the Browns, at the Dolphins, and then home versus the Broncos through Week 12. I mean, I buy Josh Allen and John Brown right now because we're not going to get better matchups in this moving forward. 100% agree with you, man. 100%. Um, with John Brown, can we throw out some possible trade ideas since everyone wants to go and get him? Um, would you trade someone like Christian Kirk for John Brown? I would. Would you? I know that's tough. I'm putting you both on the spot, but I think people out there might want to hear this. Yeah, he's the locked-in number one receiver okay. on a similarly efficient pass offense. Michael Gallup? Mm, that's a little tougher for me. Give me, give me Smokey. DK, yeah, Mac I mean, DK Metcalf? No. Yeah, I would. Oh, interesting. I, I like I like Brown's target volume better. I mean, he, he's seeing heavy targets each week. Um, he wasn't a floor play in his previous stops with the Cardinals and Ravens, but he's bucked that trend in Buffalo. So, I mean, we don't typically think of, of Brown as a floor play, dating back to his his, his past stops, but he's he's definitely that with the Bills. Sterling Shepard, Ian. I'll give me Smokey. I know that was totally unfair. Don't hold either of those guys to that, but that's just <laughs> off the top of our head what we kind of thought. Okay, the other start of your week, which I absolutely love, uh, Matt Breida against the Washington Redskins. Last week, and I actually thought Matt Breida um, performed way more than this because it looked like he was running through the Rams each time he got the ball, but 13 carries for 36 yards. Nick, four catches for 27 yards uh, against the Rams. What's your diagnosis for not just Matt Breida, but maybe the San Francisco backfield against an easy Washington team. Yeah, I mean, obviously I, I like Tevin Coleman as the better fantasy player because he's getting all the goal line looks and red zone touches. But like you said, Breida has that passing game floor. He's, he's catching balls. The Redskins are, have allowed the second most catches to running backs. Um, they've allowed it. They're 26 in fantasy points allowed to running backs. I mean, 
Kyle Shanahan's kind of hiding Jimmy Garoppolo in this offense. San Francisco's 30th in pass attempts per game. They're definitely relying heavily on the running game and defense. And going to Washington as 10-point favorites, it should be no different this week. Um, I just don't expect the, the Redskins to put up much of a fight at all, even coming off their first win. I mean, running backs have just clobbered this this defense. Uh, Kenny and Drake put up 13 PPR points last week. Um, Mark Walton averaged over five yards per carry, and Kalen Balazs scored a touchdown. Um, Sonny Michelle and James White had huge games against this defense a couple weeks ago. Wayne Gallman had that 118-yard um, two-touchdown performance in week four against the Redskins. I mean, even with Tevin Coleman playing more snaps and getting the better looks at the goal line, I, th- I think Breed is still a solid RB2-3 play, especially when he's getting 15 touches per game. Yeah, Josh and I were talking about this a little bit earlier and we're going over some backfields, but we can live with these two RB committees, especially when it's in a really good offense like this. The problems would be if we had Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert getting involved. Uh Wilson was active last week but didn't play a single offensive snap, and then three of Mostert's four carries came on just the final mop-up drive of the game. If we have Coleman and Breda split in this backfield, and especially now, like, Kyle Juszczyk sidelined, not ideal for the run game efficiency, but he was also so involved as a receiver, I think it almost heightens these guys' uh, target, flo- uh, target floors, and I think they're pretty much matchup proof at this point. I keep firing them up week by week. Those are just two of Nick's starts. Again, you can check out the full list over in the starts at column. Let's go and be negative. Look at these sets. Adrian Peterson uh, against the San Francisco 49ers. Bill Callahan is the head coach. Bill Callahan wants to run the ball like 45 times a game. Last week, Adrian Pearson saw 23 carries for 118 yards against the aforementioned Miami Dolphins. Uh, Nick, I would say the basis for your argument here is simple. It's quite different playing against the Dolphins than it is the San Francisco 49ers. Yep, hit the nail on the head there. It's pretty simple here. I mean, coming off 23 carries for 118 throws yards, like you said, definitely going to go down as one of his rare useful games this season for fantasy purposes. Um, he's a zero in the past game. Uh, the, the, the 49ers are the, one of the only two teams that haven't allowed a touchdown to running backs. They're allowing the second fewest fantasy points to position. Um, Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, D. Fortune just dominate the line of scrimmage in this game. Washington's 10-point home underdogs. Um, their implied total of 15.5 points is second lowest of the week. Um, it's just a completely different situation than last week against. I mean, they're going to try and they're going to try and run Peterson. I could see him getting 15 plus carries, but he's going to be slamming into brick walls, and you're going to just yeah. be praying for a touchdown if you if you're playing him in fantasy. Let's now go to Will Fuller against the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I believe my math just allowed me to find out that Will Fuller is like the wide receiver 14 or 15 so far this season. It's a bit skewed, isn't it, Nick? Because he had one massive game against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, uh, the other games, not so massive. Always potential to do that. But against the Indianapolis Colts, who are off a bye, you're a little concerned because last week Will Fuller caught just five of his nine targets for 44 yards against the Chiefs. Yeah, just caught five of nine targets. Like you said, dropped three touchdowns. Could have been a huge day in Kansas City. Um, but that's who Will Fuller is. I mean, he, he has a case of the drops. Um, is second in the NFL in air yards behind only Mike Evans. I really hate betting against that in fantasy, especially when you're when his target volume is he's seen six plus targets every game since week one. Um, but he was the wide receiver 45 last week. He has, has seems to have a lot of those wide receiver four afternoons with with uh, leaving a lot of yards on the field. But this Colts defense is number nine in pass plays allowed of 20 plus yards and number one in pass plays allowed of 40 plus yards. That they'll give you everything underneath that you want, but they're they're really good at limiting big plays. Um, Obviously, big plays is Fuller's bread and butter. So, if he's not going to be creating big plays in this game, I'm just I'm just kind of having a tough time treating him as anything more than like a touchdown or bust. Um, 
wide receiver three, four in this spot, you know? Hmm. Yeah, it's a small sample size, but Fuller has not cleared 50 yards in four career matchups against the Colts. Maybe this is finally the week that DeAndre Hopkins gets back on target, and I only really say that because he, is, he does have a career-low average target depth right now, so it does seem like if he's going to keep getting these checkdowns, maybe this Colts defense could really bring him out and you know, get something over 100 yards or at least find the end zone. It's kind of wild, though, Nick, like even with DeAndre Hopkins not having a massive game since week one when he did have 111 yards and two touchdowns, he still put up over 10 points in the last two weeks, over 12 points in the last two weeks. But, yeah, like you're mentioning, that 100-yard ta- 100 t- uh, point ceiling is not up there right now. Uh, Nick, thanks so much. You can check out Nick's full starts and sits over on Rotor World. Again, you can also check out Ian's backfields column and the injury dashboard. We even talk about the injury dashboard Thursday Night Football as well. That preview is at the top of the show. All right, we'll be back later this week with John Daigle, Rotopat, Hayden Winks for all nine game previews and stick with us throughout the weekend for Rudder World Live Sunday, noon Eastern. Hayden Winks joins us this week. Ooh, I believe. there we go. Handsome Hayden himself. All right, to all of you out there, subscribe, rate, review. Thank you so much. We'll talk to y'all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.